Philippians 2 uh, from verse 1. Uh, let's read. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from any love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through, sorry, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming the obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Luke. <clears throat> Good morning again. Happy Father's Day. I didn't say that when I got up here before. How many of you fathers got one of those um, survival packs? <clears throat> what a great idea. I like the sherbet for when you lose your fizz. Any fathers lost their fizz this week? They haven't figured out a lolly. Oh, I'm really loud. They haven't figured out a lolly yet or a sweet for, for this is when you lose your cool. We'll think of one for that. But that doesn't happen with us, does it, dads? Quiet. All the dads looking at their feet. It's my pleasure to, um, to lead you in the word this morning and um, um, just to recap what we've been doing this year. We've been looking at the traits of mature disciples and uh, we've been. You know, jumping onto mini themes through the year with breaks with other people sharing with us as well. And um, these traits of, of being a mature disciple are uh, how you can tell or, or what it looks like um, what a mature Christian or a mature disciple or a mature follower of Jesus Christ looks like. And a little while ago I said, and the other thing, better yet, they're actually aids to becoming mature disciples, aren't they? They're things that help us. Uh, to become mature disciples and um, we looked at um, being part of a church family and how important that was that you know not only is that something that a mature disciple does but it's also something that helps you mature as a disciple when we're together as a church family we looked at praying selflessly and um, what that means to to pray um, where it's easy to pray for ourselves and it's easy to to step in and, and ask God to look after ourselves and our families and the things that concern us but also learning to to pray that others would be blessed and even to put put ourselves in the place of being the answer to prayer we talked about sharing the gospel how important it was to share the gospel to know how to share the gospel to understand the story of the gospel and and that it was a message of life and a message of hope. 
And um, recently we just did three weeks on um, committing to accountability, how accountability actually helps us grow uh, and how it's what God has given us in a church family and community to help us grow. We're beginning for a few weeks now, we're going to talk about serves out of love. And I think this is just an amazing topic for our church. You know, when I look at the things that, that we do in the community, the things we do within our community, that we do in the world, it's, um, it's encouraging for us. For, for Joel and I looking at this, it's so encouraging for us to, to be able to speak about serving out of love. It was countercultural. Serving was countercultural even in Jesus' day, as it is today. And in Mark, and we'll see that in a little bit, um, Jesus' response to his followers when pointing out that the world wants to be served. Jesus was talking to the disciples in Mark chapter 10, and we'll have a look at that in a little bit, and um, pointing out that the world wants to be served. And his response was these three words, and that's why we've given the, the, the theme a little bit of a catchphrase for a few weeks, not so among you. And um, we're just going to focus around that a little bit. We'll spend a few weeks looking at this, three weeks looking at this, and we're going to look at um, the first week today, we're going to look at follow the servant. Who's the example? Uh, what a serving looks like when we see it, what, what, when we see it in action, what does it look like? We're going to talk about in a few weeks, we're going to talk about serving with love. How do we make sure that our service is a response of love um, and not a sense of obligation, not because you're on a roster or a list or because that's what you're supposed to do? And why it matters that we serve, that the motivation for service really matters. And then um, our final one on this is going to be servant of all. Why do we serve? What if it gets hard? What if it's costly? What if it's messy? So today we want to look at follow the servant, the first one. Who is our example? And you know, I was thinking this week, there are an amazing array of examples that we could think of, of people that serve selflessly. And um, just this morning, I was out really early, um, and so I went off to the gym, and um, the televisions at the gym were a bit early for Australian television, so I was watching American news, because that's what we watch when we don't watch Australian stuff, right? But what they were doing is they were streaming John Cain's funeral. I don't know, John Cain, you know who that is? That was the guy that, you know, the... He was a presidential candidate and he died a week or so ago. And they were, just, he was, they were talking about someone got up the front and was doing a eulogy and said, you know, this is the ultimate example of service, of someone who served. Apparently he'd served in, in the Korean War, he'd been in a prisoner of war camp, he'd served his nation as a, clearly a wonderful man, clearly a great man, and I don't really know much about him other than that. But that line caught me, because I was speaking about serving this morning and an example of a servant, and a line caught me when this person said, this is the ultimate example of someone who serves. But who is our example? I thought to myself, there's one better, isn't there? There's one better example of who we follow. Who sets the bar for service? And for us, it's Jesus, isn't it? For us, it's the one that we, follow, the one that we understand uh, did everything for us. And I want to have a bit of a look at that because our text gives, that, gives us a, a really good insight, doesn't it? When Paul talks about Jesus in our text in Philippians, um, it gives us a really good insight. And he uses some really descriptive words to help us understand what a servant looks like. And I think they're really cool words. And, I think, and I've just grabbed you know, a few things, the words that help us to look. You know, Jesus had it all, didn't he? He... He was equal in the Trinity. 
Um, one, he was one who could reasonably expect or command servitude himself, people to serve him. But he didn't hold on to that. He didn't operate out of that kind of identity or position. He became one who served. So what did it look like? When Paul talks about it, what did it look like and how did Paul describe it? I see um, a couple of things. I see three or four things in our text and um, we're just going to pop them up there in in, in one of the verses probably um, gives us the best idea. Paul says it like this. Oh, it's a bit small, isn't it? Can you see that? Anyway, it's Philippians 2 verse 7. Paul says it like this. He emptied himself. You know, and I was thinking about emptying myself. It's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Someone who serves empties themselves. And it's quite modern because what do we say about someone that's always about themselves? They are full of themselves. So it's really cool, you know, that this, this, that's the real contrast that Christ emptied himself as opposed to full of himself. So it wasn't about him and he left behind his rights. He left behind his comfort. He left behind the security of of the Trinity, being with his Father. He set aside his heavenly form even, and he decided to limit himself to a body like us. He left behind the presence, that, that, that being with his Father. And he did that to take on the form of a servant, which is the, the second thing that I saw there. One who lives for others. Looks for opportunities to, to help others and, and saw with his eyes. He was sort of predisposed to look at things that, that needed him, that needed mercy, that needed hope, that needed life. He looked for opportunities to save, to encourage, to change the situation of those that he met or he encountered. And that includes us to change our lives as well. And being in this human environment, that required him to humble himself. And that's the the next thing I see, that he humbled himself. Even when it got messy, he didn't enjoy a high status. In fact, he was often ridiculed, wasn't he? You know, um, where do you come? You're just a carpenter's son. You know, who do you, who do you think you are? You know, but he humbled himself. He didn't have a high status. He was ridiculed. He took the low road. He decided to wash the disciples' feet. Do you remember that story? You know, he decided to say, "Hey guys, you know, I need to wash your feet. I, I need to serve you." That's what real um, servanthood and leadership's about. And our text, our, and, that, and that those verses go on and say, and "He humbled himself to become obedient," and that's the uh, the other thing. Obedient to serve his father, walking this earth as a human, and that must have been hard. Can you imagine being? You know, one of the Trinity being being God and, and not being limited by human form and, and having all that and then having to limit yourself to human form. But he was obedient to that, wasn't he? Obedient to being away from his father's side. And I had to think about the intimacy that they shared. And obeyed to the point of death for us. And this part is amazing. You know, his obedience didn't just lead him to um to doing some hard stuff. But Jesus, obedient, led him to the point of death. The absolute greatest servant act in history was for us. He put everything aside. He emptied himself of life for us. He humbled himself under sin for us. He obeyed his Father for us. And he led us to eternity. 
You know, and so I started thinking, serving out of love, <clears throat> and by definition, when you serve out of love, there needs to be an object of your love. Love, 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 love sort of draws us or, or means that there must be an object. And I started thinking, we were Jesus' object. And when you serve out of love, that love has an object that you want to meet the need of. And we were the object of Jesus' love. And so when we talk about Jesus serving out of love, we were his love objects. And so he did empty himself, right to emptied himself of life itself. For us, his love objects. He did humble himself under sin. He did take on our sin for us. And he obeyed his father because we were the objects of his love. And his desire was that his love objects would no longer be separated from his father in heaven and that we would be joined with him. And so I wanted to stop here because when I think of when we do Lord's Supper, that's what we remember, isn't it? That's, what, that's when, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, you're my love objects, do this to remember what I did. Not so that you can feel sorry for me or so that you can think, wow, Jesus, you're amazing, although that's really true. But just to remember just how much I love you and just how precious you are and to remind you of that reconnection, to remind you that you don't need to live in a place of hopelessness, that you don't need to live under the power of sin, that you don't need to live without life because I've given you life. So do this in remembrance of me is really important. So when we gather as a family to do this, and I guess there's lots of things that go through our mind when we do this, when we do Lord's Supper. But that's one of the things to think of. Jesus was a servant who served out of love, was the first one, the best example we have of how someone serves out of love. What it actually means to love someone to the point that you will serve them to that extent. So I wanted to celebrate this right in the middle of, of, um, of this message because I wanted to stop and think about that and think about Jesus, our servant, who served us out of love. And so he did it. He got together with his disciples and they, had, they didn't really have a, you know, we like to think the disciples were really holy guys and that they knew what they were doing and that they had it all worked out and by, you know, they had a, a ton of aha moments. And they might have had a few aha moments or thought they did and then realized, oh no, we have no idea. You know, and they're sitting having supper with him and he'd been making all of these comments about, you know, I'm going to die and everything. And, you know, I can imagine if I was a disciple and, and we were sitting around talking like we do in the office sometimes, we'd sort of say, do you reckon that was one of his metaphorical things? Do you reckon that's one of his example things? Do you reckon he's really going to do it? Yeah. Don't you think you'd be doing that as a human being? But then it got real. You know, they're sitting and, and he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, guys, this is my body broken for you. Do this. Get together and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup <clears throat> and he poured it. And he said, this, guys, this, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. When you get together, do this in remembrance of me. Remember that my blood was poured out, is going to be poured out. And it was a prophetic statement at that point, wasn't it? For the forgiveness of your sins. And right down through the ages, right from, from that, that meal, 
we've been encouraged and challenged and commanded as followers of Christ to do the same. To do the same so that our hearts would be reminded, our spirits would be reminded of what Jesus did. But to do the same because we would remind each other as family. You were the object of his love, Mick. You, Joel, you wait, were the object of his love. And he did this for you. So do this in remembrance. So I'm going to get the elders to come forward. And I want um, and um, come on forward now, leaders. And then we'll... Um, want you to come forward and take the elements, take, um, take a bit of bread, take the cup, go back and sit at your, at your, um, at your seat and then um, let's just celebrate it together and remind each other. So before we do this, I want you to turn to the person next to you and I'm sure there's someone next to you and I just want you to tell them that you are the object of God's love. Go on, do that. And that's why we do this. That's why we're sitting here doing this together. So take, eat, remember and believe that Jesus' body was broken for the forgiveness of all your sins. And take the cup, drink, And remember and believe that his blood was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all your sins. And so do this to remember that I love you. And do this to remember that's why I served. You know, and when we look at Jesus, we are talking about ourselves, aren't we? We're talking about mature disciples and Jesus is a great, you know, people, there's, there's lots of great examples. Jesus is the greatest example if we want to know what serving looks like. It's a hard act to follow, isn't it, when you think of that? You, know, you think, do I really, is that really what I'm supposed to be like? Yet, in fact, in our text, um, in verse 2, if you look back at our reading, and then in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 2, Paul's saying that, that we should be of the same mind, having the same love, and being one mind with Christ. Paul's actually saying that we should be like Jesus. So if I was to go back over that list then, if we're going to be like Jesus, let's just have a look at those, those four things again. He emptied himself. That means that we are supposed to empty ourselves, not be full of ourselves. Empty ourselves of status, of, of stuff, of the things that have become so important to us that actually when you consider they become blockages to serving people around you. That serving for us means that we empty ourselves, that it doesn't become about us anymore, that it becomes about God's work, God's kingdom through us, that we um, become servants, that we become people who serve, that, that we are, you know, what they, they use that, that word, you know, for, what is it, for the king's pleasure. You know, when someone works for the king, I work at, at his pleasure. And we work at the king's pleasure. Our life is, is for him. And you know, that's tough. It's really easy to say that in a sermon. But if I was to say that my life is for him, that means I surrender all of my dreams, my career dreams, my relationship dreams, my status dreams, my financial dreams, my security dreams, my, my free time dreams, my, the things that I thought 
that the world told me that I should do with my life, that I surrender them all and say, well, I'm, I actually, I serve at the pleasure of the king. So I'm here. That's it. That's what Jesus did. And, and that's what being a servant means. It means that we humble ourselves, that we, we like the word says, that we consider other people more important than ourselves, that, that we humble ourselves, that we, that we don't consider ourselves to be so great and that, you know, that we're happy to, to step in if it's fun and we're happy to step in if it's not so much fun. We're happy to step in when it gets a bit messy or a little bit undefined or maybe people don't think the way that we think or respond the way that we think they ought to respond, but that we humble ourselves and that we're obedient. So if we're gonna if we're gonna look at Paul and he says, I want you to be the same mind as Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider being like God something that he could be. But he emptied himself. And Paul's saying, That's what I want you to be like. That's what I want you to aspire to be like. That's what serving out of love is. And when I say it like that, it sounds logical, doesn't it? Because you can't argue with what Paul, you know, you're not gonna go to bat with me against Paul. It sounds logical, right, and, and even reasonable. And in fact, it's kind of a bit noble. Wouldn't you actually like to be like that, or at least like other people to say you're like that? Maybe that's closer to the truth. But it's hard, isn't it? Why is it hard? You see, the world in Jesus' time wasn't actually so different from the world that we live in today. You know, Jesus pointed to that and, and, and when he said, people, you know, there's people that want to lord it over you. There's people that want to be in charge of everything, want to be right. They want, they want their status. They want to be recognized and, and um, they're living for themselves. And the world wasn't much different. Serving and lowering oneself wasn't just, was just as counterintuitive and countercultural as it is today. Maybe it's human nature, hey? In fact, when we describe service in this way, when we talk about it being like this, that you empty yourself, that etc., it's almost diametrically opposed to all the messages and all the lifestyles that we're taught to live and that we're led to live, even us in church. No. You know, status is something to be gained, to be chased. Climb over who you need to to get where you feel you need to or where you feel you want to get. Use whatever means you have. Steer clear of those that make it challenging or that might cost you or that would make it hard. Avoid those that would damage your reputation. You know, Be careful not to welcome those that aren't like you and that might be embarrassing or that might cause problems. We want to make sure that we're comfortable and secure, that we're loved and admired, that we fit in to the set that we feel we belong to, the, the right social set. That life is a little bit risk-free, that, you know, that there's not too many risks and that we can feel better about ourselves. That's what the world teaches us. So when you look at what Paul says, that's, kind of diam- that's, that's the exact opposite, isn't it? But it was like that in Jesus' time too. And his disciples were even stuck in that same mindset. It wasn't just about those horrible Pharisees and Sadducees. You know the ones we love to hate on because in the Bible they get hated on as well? It wasn't just that. There was the, it was the world that they lived in as well. They were stuck in the same mindset. Mark chapter 10. And uh, there's a bit of a story there where, where, where two of the disciples um, go up and say, well, hey Jesus, we have this question. 
you know, and just between you and, you know, when you get to heaven, when we get to heaven with you, you know, can one of us sit on your right and one of us sit on You know the story, one sitting on the left. You know, now they obviously didn't whisper quiet enough because the other disciples pegged, got, you know, figured it out and, and were indignant and got all upset, you know. And, you know, apart from the fact they were with Jesus, they might have tried to stone him. But they were all upset, you know, and, and, and Jesus goes on to explain that, you know what, in this world there's, there's people that want to lord it over you, they want to be the boss, they want to have status, they want to be. But then he says these words in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, not so among you. And those are the words that we talked a little bit before. But it shall not be so among you, because whoever would be great must be your servant. He uses words like servant and slave and he pointed to the fact that he himself came to serve and not to be served like you would expect from a king, from a messiah, from someone that was going to bring in a new kingdom. You know, there's this great expectation that if this guy says who he is, you know, if ScoMo is going to do a much better job than the other, then we're going to serve him. If this Jesus is really going to fix all of our problems, and like we look at politicians nowadays, then, you know, he, he needs to be served. He needs to be put on a pedestal. And Jesus said, that's not, what I'm, that's not going to happen. I came to serve, not to be served. And wait for it to give his life. And it turns out that that wasn't metaphorical. It turns out that it really happened. So serving out of love does and will look different to what the world tells us to be and what the world wants us to be. And I've often said, and, and, and you know, I've said it in lots of different contexts, and, and especially to young people and young adults, you know, if you want to make a difference, you've got to be different. You won't make a difference if you're exactly the same. And so serving out of love is and will be different. But you'll make a difference. And it's interesting because it's so countercultural in our day. But I was reading a few articles this week, and serving out of love actually surprises people. People are surprised when, peop- when others do sacrificial things. It gets in the news, you know. Why would he do that? You know, pe- it surprises people when you act like Jesus. And it shouldn't, but it does. It surprises the world that he's on a one track way to serve itself. And when we come in and when people come in and act and serve out of love and act differently, it's surprising to the world. And I kind of like that. It's kind of cool because I like the fact that Jesus still surprises people. And that being like Jesus is still a magic surprise for the world. So why would you serve out of love? Is it to tick a box or is it to prove to God that you can follow well? Is it to make it to heaven by being the right kind of person? Is it to impress people? To go down a history like... John Cain or Gandhi or Mother Teresa, you know, and, 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 or Bonhoeffer. For those of you that don't know who Bonhoeffer is, we've got a book in, in the church office you can read if you like. It's this thick, but it's a great book. And there's many, many others in history. Is it, is it so that you'll go down in history as one of these people that, wow, and that, that someone writes a book about, you know? And I'm not suggesting those guys aren't good. They really are. But Why? Well, here's a clue. Go back to our text in in verse 10, back to Philippians 2 and verse 10. Why be like Jesus? Why be of the same mind? Why serve out of love? And simply so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that even our service isn't about us. It's so that his kingdom would come. We become mature disciples. We serve so that people will know who Jesus is. Jesus served and he serves us so that we would see the Father. So that we would confess him as Lord and Savior. So that we would enjoy eternity with him. And, but not just pie in the sky. And turn it, so that life would make sense now. Make, life would make sense here. That his kingdom would come now in our lives. That his kingdom would come today. Bringing purpose and identity and belonging and destiny. You know, as I say those things, you know, purpose, identity, belonging, destiny, it's what every human being needs but tries desperately to find everywhere else. Jesus served out of love so that we would know that for ourselves and so that the world would know that. And so we serve out of love so that others would see who Jesus is, so that others would see what he did for humanity so that others would see that there is purpose in life, so that they would kneel and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord and glorify him. And that's what, how Philippians ends, you know, to the glory of God the Father. Everything Jesus did, everything Paul's challenging us to do, is to the glory of God the Father, that somehow the world would see who the King of Kings is, who the Father of all fathers is, who the greatest father is, that he would be glorified. So in a world where everyone's told to be or everyone's trying to be great or greater, Jesus would say, not so among you. In a world that tells us that it's each man for himself, let's hear Jesus' words, not so among you. In a broken and hurting world that has no hope, where no one feels responsible to step in or to step down and serve, Jesus would say, not so among you. And being surrounded by a world that says the glory is all mine, I kneel before no one, I am my own man, hear Jesus' words, not so among you. For the glory and the honour and the praise is his and will always be his. Amen? Let's pray. God, we... I, to be honest, Lord, when, we, when, when I read this stuff, and, and I guess I'm not alone here, it's kind of scary. It's, um, do I really need to be like you, Jesus? Do I really need to... Take the road that you took. Do I really need to, um, to change the way that I see service? And I'm challenged by it. And I'm, um, I'm filled with gratefulness for what you did, Jesus, so that I could share um, even just remembering your death on a cross. I'm, I'm filled with gratefulness and I'm certainly thankful that you've chosen me to be the, uh, the object of your love that you died for me, that eternity is set aside for me. I'm, I'm super grateful for that. But Lord, I need your spirit to help me to see how to respond, how to be 
like you, Jesus, how to be one who serves out of love, how to see that um, my call, uh, our call, as individuals and even as a community, is to be like that, to empty ourselves of ourselves, uh, to humble ourselves, to serve and, and to be obedient to you. And I confess, Lord, that obedience for me is hard sometimes. I, I find it challenging because I have dreams, I have desires. I, I think I know better. I think I know what I'm doing. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in my life, in our lives, to show us what service really looks like, to be found willing to pay the price, to, um, to recognize that I serve at your pleasure, King Jesus. I'm here because of you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have the same attitude of you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would not just see this as a, a message or a sermon or even a, a series, but that we'd figure out how to give it hands and feet and, and make, it, make it operate. And to, to be a people, to be a church that helps the world to see just how great you are and give glory to you. And that we would be people that lead others to confess and kneel before you and say, you are indeed a great God. So God, I pray that you would um, draw us into your will in this area. And I pray, God, for the times that we fail, for the times that, because uh, I'm all too aware of having this great idealistic idea, but not being able to make it all the time. Thank you that today we were reminded of the, your work on the cross and that you took care of that and that we get to pick up, dust ourselves off and have another go. And it's never too late to say yes to your invitation to step into a relationship with you. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would help us in that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.